0: You're listening to Grace for the Grind, brought to you by CLB North American Mission. We're here to encourage and equip you through the ups and downs of life and ministry, because each of us needs some grace for the grind.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 144. I'm Mike Natal. I'm Ryan Nelson. And I'm Dan Stenberg and we are your hosts, and we are here to have a roundtable discussion again on the series of Law and Gospel. Today, we're going to be digging a little bit deeper into Law and Gospel and how that works with exegesis. And so if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, well, I guess I am going to turn this off because I have no (laughs) clue what exegesis is, I just ask you to Stick with us for a little bit. We're going to explain what that is. I would encourage you that if you're saying, oh, this is the first time I've heard them talk about law and gospel, hit the pause button, go back one episode to 143, and listen to that law gospel episode, what is it? Because that's going to set you up with a foundation of what we're going to talk about in the series. So this is like the first part after we built the foundation part of this series. So today we're going to be talking about exegesis. And so as we get started, the first question that we're going to have to define is what is exegesis?
2: I'll give a real short answer, Mike. So basically you can take multiple seminary courses to unpack what all this is, but a very short definition is exegesis is a a type of interpretation or a step of interpretation. And it is basically interpreting what a passage meant to the original readers. And just to distinguish it, there's a couple of other types of interpretation that we do. We do sermonic interpretation and devotional. So devotional interpretation would be, what does this passage mean for me today? A sermonic one is what does it mean for you and me and all of us here in the congregation this Sunday, but before you can do those, you have to do an exegetical interpretation, and that is what did this passage mean to the original readers that we're hearing? Now, is that fairly accurate, or am I going to like lose my ordination because i've uh that's correct you know again, one of these things that's like so basic if you if you say it wrong, you're going to get in the middle of an argument.
0: No, or, you're good um, dude. You're good. It's it's examining and interpreting a text. Like that's, that's what exegesis is. It's looking at the text and saying, this is what it is. I'm I've examined this. I've, I've studied it. I've looked at it. Here is an interpretation of what this, this text means.
1: Yeah. I would really like to just pause quickly to just remind our listeners what we said in the past episode that, just aired on regular law and gospel and what it is. And that's to say, by no means are we telling you that we are the sole experts of what we are talking about right now. (laughs) However, the reason why we are talking about this is because we believe that it is very important within our context of the Lutheran brethren and within all of biblical history in order to understand that the Bible is broken down into both the law and the gospel. And so we're talking about this. And what I want to encourage people with is if we say something that maybe you don't completely agree with, or you think, man, they could have said that totally better. You might be right. And I would encourage you to have an open dialogue with us or to meet with other pastors or maybe elders or lay individuals in your church, play these episodes and then have a discussion about it. And then we would love to hear how those discussions went. But we don't want you to think that everything that we're saying here, don't scrutinize it at all. Because ultimately, I'll tell you guys as listeners the same thing that I tell to my church. When I preach a sermon, I'm not asking you to turn your brain off and just listen to me and say, well, what Mike says is completely right. Read scripture for yourself. Come to it from your own agreement with as you interpret what is going on and then see is what Mike is saying true about the word of God or does it throw up a red flag that's the same exact thing that we're trying to do here with this law and gospel aspect where we're sharing this with you as three pastors who attempt to regularly preach law and gospel every Sunday morning in our texts and in our sermons
2: yeah that's a great comment, like, and I, I think all this stuff about law and gospel. As we were getting ready, I came across this Luther quote that I now I have lost it, but said some basically along the lines of like, every preacher is going to spend their whole life trying to improve at this and will never fully succeed. It's something we are all growing in.
0: Absolutely, and that said, we think it's important to talk about because we recognize that we're leading Bible studies and other people are leading Bible studies, and we've got like all these different like we've got youth leaders. We, There's so many of us trying to interpret scripture and the recognition that coming at it from a law gospel lens is important. We thought it was worthwhile to have a a conversation about, and we're starting with exegesis, exegeting a text. What does it look like to find the law and gospel in a text and then proclaim that or share that or dive into that with a Bible study? We just think that's important. We think that's a, that's a good thing. It's a healthy thing for us to be able to do. And we recognize that it can take a lot of us a long time to figure out what that looks like. But these are some beginning steps. We're just going to give you some initial ways to, to do that. We will also show some pitfalls that that we can fall into as we begin to do that. So so we're going to look at exegesis first. Again, that's interpreting a text. Mike, what's a text that we want to look at as far as exegesis goes?
1: Okay. I would love for us to look at the passage of Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so basically, if we were to exegete this passage by itself, we could essentially walk up and say, All right, I'm going to try to lift these really heavy weights. I believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens wait, wait, me. Wait, Therefore, wait, I can. Wait,
0: wait. Oh. That's not exegeting it. Show them how to exegete it. Oh. You're eisegeting it right now.
1: Oh, you're right. I
0: am eisegeting. So you want to like, yes. go and say, so the exegesis of this text would be, we need to figure out what the context is. We need to look at what that actually yeah. looks like so that we can actually tell people what the text is saying. Eisegete this text, which I understand is a confusing thing.
1: This is what we would do. And can we see the difference between exegesis and eisegesis? Sounds good. So here is within the context of Philippians 4.13, that is one that gets used in a plethora of different ways, some good, some not so good. How do we exegete this passage appropriately? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A great way to start exegeting something is to read the passage within the context of scripture. What is Paul going through as he is writing this? And we get a really good glimpse into it just a couple verses prior. And it says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to say it. I am saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be, here's the key word here, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself in. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and then he goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if we come at this passage from a level of contentment, we read this passage as, we are trusting that the Lord is going to supply and give us everything that we need in order to sustain life. Therefore, the answer is absolutely yes. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.
0: We can make it through the suffering that we're enduring at this particular point in time. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be fun. Doesn't mean it's going to be enjoyable, but we're enduring hardship. And that's what he's talking about. However, what we will often do with some of these texts is we will eisegeate them. All right? So exegesis is taking out of the text what it has for you. Isogesis eisegesis is putting into the text what you want it to read. It's putting your ideas into it. And so if we were to eisegete this text, it would say, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to go hit three home runs today, baby. Like we're going to go and and, and do, like, I'm going to ace this test without studying. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. And maybe we don't, maybe that's taking it too far to how some people would do it. But often I, I will hear or see on like some meme or something on like my socials, where it'll be like, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's like, you're eisegeting that text. You're making the text say something that it doesn't actually say because you're taking it out of context. It is so important for us to exegete the texts, to read what the text is saying so that we can be sure that this is actually what God is telling us. How many times have people been disappointed when they've thought that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them and then they've failed? oh, the Bible's lying to me. No, your desires are lying to you because you read into the text something that was not there.
2: Boom, and mic drop.
1: All right, so now that we have a decent understanding of what exegesis is, and since we also heard about eisegesis, now I think where we go next is how do we find the law and gospel in a passage?
0: Yeah, how do we properly exegete the law and the gospel from the text that we're studying in our Bible study or that we're teaching to our youth or that we're looking at in our personal devotionals, right? How do we see it there? Where do we find it? H- how do we find it? How do we how do we look for it? And so in order to do that, we're going to give you just a, a few examples uh, just to kind
1: of see what that might look like. Yeah, so the first one that we're going to look at is Romans 6.23. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we've got a couple of things going on
2: in this passage. First of all, we hear that the wages of sin is death. That is a law statement. That is talking about the the consequences of our sin. It is that convicting work of the Holy Spirit holding up the mirror to ourselves. And then we get gospel after that, which is great. We get this all right in the very same verse. And the gospel is that second part of the verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is the gospel. And if you remember back to our first episode, we talked about the law basically tells us what we must do, but it's powerless to help us do it. The gospel tells us what Christ has done for us. And so the second half of Romans six twenty three. It speaks truth to us about what Jesus has done on our behalf. And it's awesome when the law and the gospel are right next to
0: each yeah. other like that,
2: yeah. like that,
0: right? In a passage, Like it, it makes it so much easier, but th- we don't always see that. We're not always going to find the law and the gospel yeah. right next yeah. to each other. I remember in seminary, one of the things that Dr. Viem would always talk about in a homiletics class was that, there was going to be a fallen condition focus, a law statement, and that with that law statement, there was going to be a gospel answer. But they may not always be in the same area. But as we're proclaiming Scripture, as we're studying Scripture, we need that gospel answer to come for that law statement. So we're going to take another look here at Romans
1: chapter 1, verses 18. Can I ask a really quick question yeah. before we get going? Okay, so we've been using a lot of big words. We used exegesis, we used eisegesis, and then Daniel, you just used the word homiletics. What is this homiletics class that you talk about? Yeah, it's where they taught us to preach. That was that was the preaching class. That's a good call, Mike. Yep, preaching
0: class. So in preaching class, this is what we learned. And so we're going to take a look at, at Romans chapter 1, verses 18. to uh, to 20, where it reads this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So we look at that passage and we go, where... (laughs) Where's the hope here, right? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then it just talks about how we're just walking around willfully ignorant. Like we're, we're walking around in a world where the wrath of God is being revealed. Where's the hope there? That's law. That's recognition of our sinfulness. That's recognition that we are not doing all of the things that we're supposed to be doing. Even though God has made it clear to us, we're still going against what he wants us to do. So how do we find a gospel answer to that expressed fallen condition focus? For that, sometimes we'll have to look in a different place.
2: So now, let's hear 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that wrath
0: being revealed, we see in Romans 1, we see that that God is answering that wrath pouring out. The gospel answer to that is that God made him who knew no sin, right? Who had no sin. Jesus was sinless to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that's a gospel answer to an expressed fallen condition focus. And they're harder to find. Like it's not easy to find the gospel answers all the time. And we have to know our scriptures pretty well, but it is so important for us to be able to not leave people in the law, it's not leave it. Well, you're wicked, get better. Like th- that's where it leaves us. If we're not finding the gospel, it's pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get better because God's revealed it to you. He's shown it to you. It's on you now. If it's on us, it's bad news, right? Like that's a burden that we don't have. We're not equipped to deal with.
1: Yeah. And I love too. like, sometimes we find answers as well that remind us of God's promises while we're pulling from scripture. But as you read that Romans 1 passage, something that came to my mind was a lyric to a song, which is In Christ Alone. And in the second verse of In Christ Alone, it says this, Till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. And so all of that, you can kind of hear that encompasses the response to that passage in Romans 1. And now what we need to do is figure out where that is in Scripture. And so the good news is that, Ryan, you were able to find that for us in Scripture in that Second Corinthians passage that laid it out. But it's just a great reminder that not only can you have a gospel response literally found right in Scripture, but you can also have a gospel response found in the songs that you incorporate into your worship service as well. Cool. And that passage in Christ alone is totally a gospel response to the law that you can now proclaim in song during the service itself. Yeah,
2: that's beautiful. Before we move on, Dan has mentioned a couple times a concept. Just, I'd love to circle back to this just in case not everyone listening is familiar with this, the fallen condition focus. So I went through seminary before... My uh, preaching professors and my preaching classes—we didn't use that exact term. I think I think that's pretty standard for a lot of the you younger pastors. But yeah, young whippersnappers, for us old guys. And for those who haven't been to seminary and done that, can, can you one of you guys explain that? What's that concept about the fallen condition focus?
0: It's really just finding the law in the text. So, what is it that's letting us know about our fallen condition?
2: So, tell me about some of the benefits of identifying that early on in your sermon preparation
0: yeah, so when i 'm going through and beginning to work on a text, those are the things that i I try to find what's going to kill me in this text? What is expressing what I cannot do? often yeah. again, like we talked about in the first law's good like it's it's a good thing for us, but we're not able to to actually do it perfectly we're not able to do it in the way that God wants us to do it. so there is fantastic instruction for us. That is important for us to, to look at and recognize. And that's the reason it's fallen condition is because we don't have the ability to do it perfectly. And so it, it reminds us, it shows us, it shines a light on our inability to keep God's will, yeah. God's law perfectly. And so that's why it's a fallen condition focus. Maybe it's pointing out our sin.
1: Maybe it's pointing out our instruction from God that, that we're supposed to be doing. Can there be multiple fallen condition focuses in a single passage? There totally can be, I think. And that can be even like, so when
0: I'm doing my prep for like a sermon or something, I I typically don't try to hit all of them necessarily. Like it's going to depend on the sermon. It's going to depend on the time. It's going to depend on the study. It's going to depend on the audience. Like if I'm sitting down with Karen and we're doing a devotional together, yeah, we might hit a bunch of them. But if I'm preaching from the pulpit, I'm probably not going to hit all of them. If I'm doing a Bible study, maybe I'll hit one or two, depending on the ones that are there. If I know my group, right? If it's my first week, maybe not as much. Like I need to understand who who my audience is. And I think that's a big part of this too, is is as we're exegeting texts, as we're looking at them and getting ready for Bible studies or youth group or whatever it might be, who's your audience and what are they going to be ready for? How are you going to make this relevant to them? Right? How are they going to understand this falling condition focus? How are you going to make it hit for them? Because one of the things, again, that we were taught in seminary is that you're supposed to kill them with the law because the law kills us. Not because we're like bloodthirsty or or anything along that line, but we have to recognize our need. If we don't recognize our need, then we don't understand the need for the gospel. And so the reason we bring out a fallen condition focus and the reason that maybe we only focus on one or we only focus on a couple instead of hitting all of them that a certain text may proclaim is because is this one going to kill us? Does this one slay me? Does How does this one point out to me that I am not good enough and I can't do it?
2: That's great. Thanks for unpacking that for us a little bit, Dan. Appreciate it.
0: As we're talking about recognizing our audience and how to be aware of what parts of the law are going to hit them harder, I I want to take a minute to talk about our men's and women's Bible studies. Often when we're participating or leading studies for men and women, we'll look at passages that speak to men or women. Gendered passages, right? Something that we need to be aware of is that gendered passages in Scripture are often passages of law. I hadn't even made that connection until I listened to the CLB Women's Ministries podcast, Beautifully Woven, where, Karen had Gretchen Ranovic on, and and Gretchen pointed that out, and I was kind of dumbfounded, like she's totally right. Gendered passages of scripture tend to be law passages. We see this in Proverbs 31, where we read, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life, right? She's She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. Like, and it goes on and on. And it's like, all of this stuff is is in Proverbs 31. Like, this is good stuff. But man, if our women are striving to lead that, like, that's all law. There isn't any grace there there isn't any gospel there that's all law but it's a gendered passage it's talking about women we we also see this in colossians 3:19 right and this is a much shorter passage but we see it for our men colossians 3:19 husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them that's a gendered passage and it's not an easy passage because ah, like how often do we agree with this stuff we just need to recognize these things as we're doing it and so if we're not understanding that we need to be looking at these scripture passages with a law gospel lens, then our people are going to be leaving these studies, these men's and women's Bible studies, where we're focusing on gendered passages with a recognition of what God has called us to do, but without the comfort of being affirmed by what Christ has done without the follow-up of the gospel.
2: It's pretty powerful to think about. That's a great observation. I don't think I'd really thought through that before myself. Another concept that I came across, thanks to listening to, to another pastor, Pastor Ron Erickson, one of our Silby pastors, I don't remember if he came up with this or if he studied, you know, read this somewhere else from some other scholar, but he pointed out to me that when we ask questions in our sermons, he said, anytime you ask a question, it's the law. My first thought was, oh, that can't be right. Then I thought about it. Hmm. And I realized that it was true. A lot of the questions, maybe all of them, that I would ask would have some kind of a law focus to them. And that began to change the way I preach. Yeah, that's pretty powerful.
1: I actually had an experience with that this week. So Ryan, that was something that you shared with Daniel and I as we were doing some show prep the week before. And so going into this week's sermon, that was on my mind about asking a question and having it be a law statement. And I found that fascinating. And so I just want to share with our listeners kind of how that manifested itself. So I preached on the uh, Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And at the end, I proclaimed the gospel and then asked a question that said, now, isn't that worth sharing? And I was like, I heard Ron talking to me in the back of my head and saying, man, that's a law statement. I don't want to leave them on that law statement. And instead, kind of what I did was I just let the gospel hover. And here's the sentence I ended with. I said, God is the victor. And because of that, we can confidently know that we too have victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil because of him. Remind yourself of that truth regularly, and it will impact not only your life, but the lives of those around you, too. Nice. And so I kind of just allowed the gospel to, to work in its fullness and say, as you remind yourself of the promises of God, it will literally radiate out of you. It will produce fruit. So I just kind of left my people with that as opposed to asking them like, hey, I just said all this gospel stuff. Isn't that worth telling other people about? And kind of letting them be like, yeah, I guess I should go and tell people about that. I instead just completely filled them to overflow in hopes that the gospel would then overflow onto other people as they interact with them during the week. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's a great example.
0: And we can feel some of the tension there, right? Because we might be going, but isn't it good to like have us go and do those things? Aren't we supposed to do that? Didn't Jesus say go and, and do this stuff? And so in some ways there is a bit of a tension, I think, that we wrestle with right there. But I, I, I think it's good for us to recognize that ultimately as pastors, and as proclaimers of scripture, yeah, we, we exegete scripture and we proclaim it, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that does the convicting. And that's something that I've like really tried to also bring out is I'm proclaiming law in, in the times and in the places where I end up doing that every week. And, and one of the questions that I will often ask is one that I learned from a man, Andrew Foss, and that is he would give a law statement and then he would say, how are you doing with that? Right? So like to use this Colossians three, right? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So how are you doing with that? And I just kind of sit there and go, yeah, how am I doing with that? You know, like mm. there, there's a, there's just a settling that kind of comes in. So it's not like we need to go through and list off all the ways that like, we shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that. And you got to be doing this and you got to be, do- I love that we can just proclaim scripture. Here's a statement from scripture. How are you doing with that? And it just allows the Holy Spirit to be the one that does the convicting. Because maybe the way I've been harsh with my wife is different than the way you've been harsh with your wife, Mike, or you've been harsh with your wife, Ryan. And it's the Holy Spirit that's pointing that out to us, going,
1: oh, "I didn't, I did not love her as well as I should have." Full disclosure: I am never harsh with my <laughs> wife. I dare you, Lindsay, to keep that to keep that in. I dare you.
0: <laughs> I just love the way that 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 phrase. Whether we're again, whether we're in a Bible study. Or whether we're you know, we're proclaiming, like uh, preaching, or whether we're we're leading a youth group, we're in our own personal devotions. Even asking myself that question, which I do every week, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with this proclaimed law?
1: It's hard. It hits, man. It hits me anyway. All right. So now we come to the the last portion, the last question that we have, which is why is a law gospel distinction important? as we view scripture. So that kind of puts a bow on it. So like we've been talking about, here's what exegesis is. We dabbled in eisegesis. We said, how do we find the law in passages? Then we talked about those statements. And now we come to the point where we say, why is it important that we do this?
0: And I'm going to go back to the words of Dr. Timothy Istabo, where he says, while the law itself is not a means of grace, it is a servant of the means of grace. The means of grace being the word of God that brings sinners to believe in Jesus Christ, have the forgiveness of sins, become righteous in God's sight, and have eternal life. It's the gospel that saves. The law doesn't save. The law is easier to find. Like, it's easier to, to see in our texts. It, it hits us. We, in some ways, we kind of like it more because it gives us something to do. It doesn't save us. And so it's so important for us to look at Scripture at our Bible studies, and our devotional times, through a law gospel lens. And that's not going to come naturally. It's natural for us to read what God is telling us to do and then encourage each other to go and do those things, which, which is good. But if we're not following the law up with the gospel, a reminder of what Christ has done, then we are not leaving our studies, our times of devotion, with what saves us. We're not leaving assured of God's love, but with a list of things we are to do. Things that ultimately, because of our sinfulness, will fail to do. So again, the law's good. It's good for us to know God's desire for us. But the law also kills us. And so it's important for us to have a good law-gospel distinction so that we're not leaving our studies
1: dead. Another mic drop. I mean, how yeah. do you get better than Tim Istabo? Tim Istible's
0: the man, dude. So. We recognize that this isn't easy. This is a practiced skill. This is something that takes time and it's hard and we haven't always done it well. We haven't always done this as as well as we should or as well as we'd like to. People have left our Bible studies with a list of things to do that ultimately won't save them. Know that that God is working in spite of us and that this is just something that we continue to work towards and that's okay. Like that's that's a good thing. Know that there is grace for the times that we haven't given people grace like we need to and like they needed us to.
2: Dan, would you say that this brings us grace for the grind?
0: I would absolutely say that this brings us grace for the grind.
1: All right. So now as we wrap up with our law gospel view on exegesis, I wanted to leave you guys with this benediction found in Ephesians 3 verses 20 and 21. It says this now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.
2: Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Dan. It's been great recording this with you guys. As we come to a close today, we want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. We'd be grateful if you shared this podcast with a friend, family member, or colleague. And we ask that you subscribe to the podcast so you can be notified when new episodes drop. Thanks for checking in with us, and we hope you'll join us next time. Adios.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Grace for the Grind, a CLB North American Missions podcast. For more resources like this, check out clbforge.org.